All right, everybody. Welcome to today's episode of the Advancing Man Project show. I've got my friend and um, colleague from the old days that I've known for, God, I don't even know how long that we've known each other, but we've we've been connected with each other for several years, if not more than 10 years, probably. Uh, Jason Leanarts, he is the owner of Revolution Fitness and Therapy, which is abbreviated as RevFit, in Stowe, Ohio. It's a semi- private personal training studio and he started that business in 2009 continues to service clients of all ages with strength training and nutrition coaching um started coaching clients online with or started coaching clients online with their nutrition and training needs in 2017 and has recently lost and i'm looking forward to hearing about this an online group coaching pro group coaching program called fat loss simplified he launched that late in 2023 and the next round of that i don't know when this show is going to air we're recording it in late January of 2024, but Jason tells me that the next round of that will be opening up in April of this year, 2024. And I'm sure we'll talk about details on how you can find out more about that as we go along with this uh, episode. Um, got books in physical and Kindle formats on Amazon. He's got weekly blogs at jasonleanarts.com, and that is L-E-E-N-A-A-R-T-S is how you spell lean arts. Married to his wife, Marissa, has two sons, uh, Jackson and Sebastian, aged 16 and 6. And um, good to have you on the show, Jason. What's been happening? Dave, thanks so much. I, I've been looking forward to this. You know, it's I was thinking back when you were talking about how long we've been connected. And I, I think I have to give credit uh, where my memory says it's due. I think I first heard about you through our mutual friend, Pat Rigsby. And okay. I think that Pat had been the one who had recommended your book because I believe your book had just come out or it was about to come out. And I was like, oh, well, I know Pat's a big reader. And if Pat says, you know, this is someone to follow and this is someone to read, I want to know what that's about. So got your book, read it, and somewhere in that timeline reached out to you because at the time uh, I still had a podcast up and going, which is still mm -hmm. out. It's still out in the webs. It's called Revolutionary You. And once upon a time, uh, my man Dave Whitley was on there and and just a very kind and gracious soul, which he's continued to be. And so, yeah, just just looking forward to um, ha having a good conversation and, and just seeing where it takes us. I still have my RevFit t-shirt. Attaboy. <laughs> still have it. Still wear it on occasion, too. That's um, good. <laughs> cool. Um, well, just um, the format of this, I, I like I, I said, it's... It, there are people listening, but it's also just kind of two dudes talking and having a conversation, very much like the the stuff that you did on your podcast back then. So um, just uh, give a quick backstory. How did you wind up where you are and, and how did you become who you are? Yeah, um, I, I've tried my damnedest to try to make this as as quick of an introduction and backstory as I can. But depending on where my mind goes, sometimes it's a shorter story and sometimes it's a much longer one. But I was very fortunate to be born to two uh, amazing parents. Um, I am an only child. And, um, you know, when, when you look at the trajectory that our, our lives take as, you know, as individuals, stuff like that, you know, some people don't always have the best stories to tell about their parents and that's shaped them in positive and or negative ways. Um, I'm one of these people that had amazing parents, um, but I had some really uh, unusual things happen in my life that made the uh, several parts of my life very chaotic. So one thing of which, um, and we can dive into whatever details of this you want to throughout the course of our conversation. But um, when I was around the age of your son and my youngest son, now uh, I was sexually abused. Um, it was an isolated incident. So it only happened one time. Um, but it was one of those things that at the time that it happened, I would not fully understand how much it was going to change the rest of my life. And so 
here I am at the ripe age of 48, and it's still something that influences a lot of my life. And I've had to go through a lot of therapy to try to figure out, okay, so why does it affect so much of my life? So I had that incident and still just, you know, I packed it away, didn't tell my parents about it, just kind of stuffed it away and hoped that that feeling and the, the you know, negative side effects would uh, essentially go away, but they don't. Like a lot of the problems that we uh, sweep under the rug, they find a way of coming out, and, you know, making a mess in our lives again. Mm-hmm. Um, I did fall into drugs when I was around the age of 20, which is going through a really rough patch. I'd been seeing different psychiatrists and doctors, um, was hospitalized um, a handful of times for suicide attempts and suicidal ideation uh, between the years 1996 and 1998. And in 1996, I started getting into street drugs and would be become a drug addict for 10 years. So I was a drug addict from 96 to 2006. And early on into that history of drug addiction, uh, I fell into fitness somewhat accidentally. I just saw myself in the mirror one night, didn't really like what I saw in the mirror and thought, okay, maybe I should do something about this. Maybe I should go lift some weights or do something like that. So got into lifting weights. I liked it. Um, I've always been a small framed guy and that really hasn't changed too much. Um, but at that time it was lots of drugs, lots of partying, being in a band, working, you know, just trying to support my, uh, my illegal habit. And, uh, and then started to kind of clean up my diet a little bit after that. So I'm like, okay, so lifting weights, starting to turn the nutrition around and then, you know, finally managed to get my head permanently dislodged out of my ass with the drugs and got clean in 2006. Um, so yeah, so I've been clean since then. And because fitness was still something that I was really involved in, uh, I got certified as a coach at the tail end of 2007, had some unusual life circumstances happen to me where I was in a position where I could open up a business of my own and thought, I think I want to do this fitness thing full time. So up to that point, all of my work experience had been in retail. So just running other people's businesses. And as you mentioned in the intro, um, started this business in the spring of 2009 and uh, we are here in, uh, you know, beginning of 2024, um, heading into our 15th year. So that is a, that's a relatively short way to tell a story, <laughs> but there's yeah. lots, there's lots in there. So feel free to dive into any part you want to. Yeah. Um, that is a lot. And um, congratulations on coming upon 15 years. That's uh thanks man. That's, that's no small feat to, to do that, but also to desire to keep doing that. You know, running a running a physical location for a gym is something that is no joke. And I, I, I've done it. I did it from when did I open my place? 2010. And I moved out of that building in 2015. And I got completely out of the gym business in 2018, right before my son was born. But um, but that was by design. I decided I don't want to do this anymore. But um, the vast majority of the people that that I talk to that try to open up a physical location, um they wind up uh, not taking into account all of the stuff that they have to either learn how to do or pay someone to do that's not in their toolkit that they want to do or that they're that they're skilled at like you know email stuff and advertising and marketing and and taking clients in and you know yeah. knowing who to call when the roof leaks <laughs> just <laughs> all of that sort of stuff so it's yeah. uh it's it's a big difference there. So that's that's excellent that you've uh, you've kept it going for 15 years. That's phenomenal. Thank um, you, thank you, appreciate it. I want to uh, I want to come back to some of the stuff that you talked about, but I want to 
preface it by like asking a little bit more stuff that goes on the front end. Cause as, as I told you about the, a, a large part of what we talk about on the show has to do with things happening in dad life from dad perspective, specifically dads who are, who understand the importance of being, you know, strong and fit dads, a lot of dads who are um, well-versed in running business or, or, you know, entrepreneurially minded like that. So a question that I like to ask is what is your fundamental principle or principles for being a father? Wow. I, I don't think I've ever been asked that question. Um, so I, I, I think there's probably a lot to it. Part of it is I, I want to be as close to the man that my father raised me to be. And my father, you know, I, I it's, it, you can, my father passed away in 2011 to bone marrow cancer. And mm. so it's easy to build up people that are no longer here to defend themselves um, because you can build them up to almost mythic proportions. Um, but my dad was, I, I, I could not have asked for a better father. And my father molded, uh, yeah, he he modeled, excuse me, so many great attributes to me. He was honest. He was open. He didn't have a problem showing emotion. So, you know, I, I wasn't raised by a man who said, you know, men shouldn't cry, men shouldn't right. show these emotions. You know, he never asked me to like stuff things down, nothing like that. Um, he worked very hard. He was, you know, always making sure that our family had what we needed. Um, and it, it was just one of those things where I always knew that my dad had my back. Looking back, you know, hindsight being 2020, there, there are parts of my life where I'm like, I, I wish I would have told my parents about this really bad thing that happened to me when I was a kid, mm -hmm. but I, I didn't know how I didn't, you know, it's one of those things where like it happens and you don't understand the magnitude of what's going on. And so in stuffing it away for so many years, because it would take another 12, 13 years before I would even, even tell my parents about it long after they could do anything about it whatsoever. So it's, there's the part of me that wants to model as much of what my father showed me to my own sons, but I've also had to grapple with the fact that I'm not my dad there's a lot of things about me that are very different from my dad. And so there's, I had to sort of get over the inevitable guilt that I'm like, I can't fill those shoes, but maybe that wasn't the point to begin with. The point is to try to be the best version of myself. And so as I've gotten older and had a lot of successes and still a lot of pretty fantastic failures, some of which he got to see and some of which he didn't get to see. Um, as I watch my boys get older. And so for frame of reference, I have a, a 16-year-old son who is on the autism spectrum, he's from my first marriage. And then I have a six-year-old who is with my wife, Marissa. And um, and so Jackson, my oldest, lives with his mom full-time. And we see him when we see him, you know, as often as we can see him. We, we have been very fortunate that even though we didn't have the best relationship, um, we do everything that we can to make sure that Jackson always has what he needs. So we've become a very civil and productive relationship afterwards because we know that it benefits everybody mm -hmm. um and then also understanding that you know the way that i parent jackson because of having special needs is very different than having a, a neurotypical child um because not only do i see him full time but it's different skill sets so it's learning how to adapt like okay i'm i'm the same person but it's just like working with clients different clients have different needs so you have to use different tools to be able to go listen we we still have to, you know, do things with as much integrity as possible. We still have to show love. We still have to have some play time. We still need to, you know, from time to time have discipline where we feel like that, that thing is, is 
uh, missing or needed. So it's just trying to have all those things, but also in, in the case of Sebastian, because he is the child that we live with, being able to show in the things that I grew up with. So I, I had parents that showed love to each other and I grew up with that. So I think that's important for our son to see, oh yes, like his mother and I have a very functional marriage. That's a mm-hmm. good thing. So that it's, I think it's a lot of that. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, I've never been asked that question. <laughs> so thank you. You're welcome. You're welcome. I, uh, I asked that question a lot because for me, when, uh, when we found out that we were going to have a kid, I had the, the inspiration enough to be like, okay, what values do I want to impart on this kid? Who do I want to be for this kid? And that's the same sort of stuff that I do in, in, one-on-one and group coaching with any of the personal development or superhuman you stuff. And so I, I, I treated myself like a client and I sat down and wrote down what I wanted and what I didn't want. And when I looked at the list of what I wanted, I'm like, ah, daddy's got some work to do in a bunch of different areas here. If I'm going to be that guy. Right. You know, so, um, that was, and that's a work in progress, you know, it's still an ongoing thing, but I still have the list and I still aspire to, to live up to that list. And, um, here we are five years and a few months into it. And I'm proud of the way the kid's turning out. So, um, I'm, I'm happy that he is an open canvas and, and that, that, you know, everything that I'm doing and all the, the attention and energy and effort that I put into it seems to be working. So that's good. You know, it, uh, I'm not a fan of, of the lazy approach, you know, it's the single most important thing that we can be doing. And I, and I ask that guys at all time, like, like, is this the single most important thing that you can do? And they're, and they're like, well, yeah, sure. And I'm like, okay, what books have you read about it? Yeah. <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah you know? yeah and so um i i that's that's how i approach stuff right now but this isn't about me this is about you and your experience and um so going back to this uh this horrific thing that happened when you were a kid you spoke yeah. a little bit about how it affected you growing up um there's almost certainly a correlation between that and then addiction and all of the other stuff that you described through walking through the the dark and scary woods there. Um, I don't see how there couldn't be, but um, how once, once we've, once you've dealt with that, um, uh, well, there's, there's, there's two questions that's, that's triggered in my mind. The first one is um, not really a question, but more an observation. I think that a lot of us with young kids, you know, five, six and younger, or even a little bit older than that, we tend to not be cognizant of how aware of circumstances those kids are and how aware they can be. And the, you know, the situation you described is like, that's the most horrific, terrible thing that can happen to a kid in my opinion. Yeah. Um, And um, I think that the, the mind of the, the predator who perpetrates that will tell the lie to themselves. Well, they're just little kids. They don't, they don't really know what's going on. Um, which obviously isn't the truth, but that that belief doesn't doesn't just reside in the mind of the you know the the mentally ill and the criminal. It resides in all of us, you know. And and I see it all the time with guys. They're like, like one of the early things for me when we brought my son home was um, um, I told you before we started recording that that something I said was a quote from Walking Dead. Right? My wife and I watched yeah. Walking Dead. We brought our son home. He was just a few days old sleeping in a bassinet in the living room with us. We were watching television. We decided to get caught up on walking dead and something about that just didn't feel right to me to have the sure. sleeping baby and this apocalypse, which is a very good show. Um, but 
you know, the sleeping baby next to it. Something didn't feel right about that to me. And I sent a text to a friend of mine um, that you may or may not know who he is. His name's uh, Joe Vitale, Dr. Joe Vitale. He was in the sure. movie, The Secret, personal development guy, marketing guy. Yeah. And, and um, yeah. so I, I, he was the first person I thought of thinking in terms of um, going woo here, but just thinking in terms of the energy of that show being in the room with my sleeping infant son. I'm like, what, why, why do I feel like something's off about this? So I sent him a text and told him what was going on. Um, I did it in vague terms. I'm like, you know, violent TV shows, the news, people having these conversations about, you know, terrible things or whatever. If that's just kind of floating around in the ether in the room with a child awake or asleep, what's going to happen? And he replied back with a three word answer that, that solidified everything. Joe said he will, or he'll absorb it. And yeah. I'm like, well, I yeah. don't want my four day old son absorbing the walking <laughs> dead. So we shut the TV off. But, um, I think there's a lot of, a lot of us. And until I had that moment, I, I, I lumped myself in the same category. It's like, well, they're just little kids. They don't really know what's going on, but they're absorbing literally everything in a way that we are not capable of understanding because by the time we're grown, we've got our, our conscious mind is developed to a point. We can start putting filters into place and we have opinions about stuff. And so if a thought comes to us, we can, we can consent to it and let it, let it be part of our beliefs or we can reject it and say, no, I don't think that's true. But at that age, um, up to, you know, seven or eight years old, they really don't even start to develop that stuff or maybe a little younger than that, but you know what I mean? So, um, I'm curious, um, how that experience that you went through has impacted your approach to being a dad. Yeah, it's, um, it's one of those things where kind of like what you said, it's, it, it, it's, I would call it probably one of the top three, like worst things that you can think of that could happen to a child, you know, and when you think about like abduction and, you know, uh, something fatal happening to your child, it's, it's all up there. It's just, you know, some your worst nightmares. Um, it makes you, I think, sorry, I won't speak for others. It makes me uh, sometimes hyper aware of who my child is with. And this, this is for both boys. So, you, you know, when Jackson was my only child, that was the only one that I had to focus on. So like the, to, to be very frank, the person that did this to me was a babysitter. So one of the, you know, you, if you think about it, like that's a pretty normal thing. You, 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 you want to go out for uh, a night out with your spouse and you hire a babysitter. And right. this was a babysitter that like my family knew their family. Um, it was both the son and the daughter who both babysat me. And the son was the one who committed the crime. Like I'll, I'll say crime just, you know, in a relative sense. Sure. Um, so the, it's one of those things where you have somebody in a trusted position with your child and, and you think nothing could go wrong. Um, and, and I will say also like this person continued to babysit me for a certain amount of time. There were just no other incidents. It was only this, this one incident. So it's, it's one of those things where you become almost hyper aware, like, okay, so, but who is watching my child? And what is the likelihood that something could happen to my child? And, you know, I, I mean, this day and age, you can you can let that snowball build mm -hmm. and you'll never leave the house because you'll have so much anxiety. Um, I, I had to step away from that because I'm like, OK, so I know that by and large, um, we believe that the people who are with our children are taking care of them. Could something happen? Yes, it could. Could being the operative word. But I'm, you know, putting putting faith in the people that we say, hey, listen, could you watch Sebastian for a little bit? Can you watch Jackson for a little bit that they're going to be safe? But it does just it kind of stays in your mind that like there's always that risk that something could happen. 
just like there's a risk that your child could be playing out in the yard with his, you know, buddies and walk out into the street and be hit by a car. Like mm-hmm. there's always an assumed risk. So it's just trying to stay somewhat aware and mindful. Like who is this person that's watching my child? Is this something that, is this someone that who we both trust and, you know, and hope that we've made the appropriate decision. So, yeah. Yeah. That's uh it's a hard thing to think about. I um, I had a background. I um, from '95 till about '99 or 2000, I think it was. I worked like as frontline staff in a treatment facility for juveniles who had committed sex offenses, and hmm. I got to see it and and learn about it from that point of view. And sure, and it was uh, it was it was horrific. And you know, it, that's definitely one of the things that goes through my mind now. Um, much like you said, like being aware of, of who are we going to let our, you know, be alone with our kid. And um, my wife and I both worked there. She was actually a therapist there. And um, so, yeah, that is, that's a very real thing. But like you said, if you just sit and focus all your attention on that, then you never leave the house. Right. And. Yeah. And it's, it's that. And then, you know, the other thing too, that was um, because I, you know, I mentioned, I went through all the stuff with the suicide and all that kind of stuff when I was, uh, well, I would have been, I would have been between 20 and 22 years of age, um, was in a lot of therapy at that time and then got out of therapy and then did a little bit of therapy in my thirties and then got out of therapy and then got back into therapy in my forties. And it was in my forties that I met a therapist who we started to kind of drudge this stuff back up again. And he said, I I want you to, I want to give you some books to read because I think that it will help you understand why certain things keep coming up in your life. Um, why you keep behaving in certain patterns. And so, you know, you read these books and of course the way these, a lot of these books are written, especially when it gets into um, specifically men being sexually abused, you start to see some of the similarities like, okay, so there's a really good likelihood that men who are in this position may become uh, addicted to gambling. They may, may become addicted to porn. They may become um, uh, promiscuous and ha- have lots of issues with infidelity they may become drug addicts, alcoholics, like the, the whole night, hell, they could, they could end up doing the same thing that happened to them. Um, and then of course you read about these really extreme stories where like these kind of things happened for years and years and years and years and years before it finally stopped. And so the one thing that really stuck in my mind, because there was one particular book that the therapist had said, I want you to read this, but I want to give you just a little preface first that this is the kind of thing that you're going to read and it's probably going to make you worse before you get better. And I thought, okay, good to know. So one of the things that was in that book was the fact that they, they viewed the situation that happened with me as incest. And I had always thought of incest as a family member, but the way mm. that they define it, it's incest because it is someone in a position of guardianship. And I thought, okay, so that just completely screwed my mind up for a good several weeks because I'm like, wow, I've never, ever, ever thought about it like this. But then Hmm. you look at it like that and then it makes you sort of like reframe the whole dynamic of what happened. And then you got to, sorry, I don't know if we're allowed to cuss on the show. You you have to, you have to unfuck your mind from that whole process and then go, okay, so let's, let's burn that, let's burn that house all the way down and we're going to rebuild it back. Um, and I, I know this probably wasn't the direction you, you intended to take the conversation, but one it's of the important things stuff that, though, it's important stuff. Keep going. It, it is. One of the things that the therapist had asked me to do at that time is he said, 
well, throughout the years, like I'd always had people, certain practitioners, doctors or whatever that would help me through elements of that healing process. And so going way back into when I first like went to a doctor and said, I think I'm depressed back when I was 20 years old, before they ever put me on a medication. Um, he said, if you ever try to confront your abuser and I'm like, no, like I've written about it, like I've written poems and I've written all like songs and stuff about like, you know, this, this element of being, you know, violated, victimized, all this other stuff. Um, but I've never tried to like reach back out to my abuser. And I was like, I don't know that I'm ready to do that. But like, I got a wild hair up my ass one night. I was in college and I was with my roommate and he'd been through a lot of stuff. He has a, you know, he had a, a back history with a lot of depression and stuff like that. And I'm like, hey, I, I think I'm going to try to find this guy. I'm going to try to find, you know, because now you've, you've got all these years later. Sure. So this person who was my former babysitter, I'm going to see if I can track him down. So sure enough, I went at that time because this was, you know, prior to us being able to like go on Google <laughs> right. and get the answers. I, I called the city that I was, that I used to live in and I called the operator and I said, could I reach so-and-so? And they said, yes, we have that number. Would you like me to connect you? Yes, I do. Now, Dave, I'm talking, this is like 10 o'clock at night. You know what I mean? Right. Like it's not, I'm not, not calling it four in the afternoon, but I called him and got a hold of him. And of course he thinks we're just having like a normal conversation. I was like, listen, do you remember something happening between us that probably shouldn't have happened? And he's like, no. And I go, nothing. Like, you don't remember anything during some of the times that you were babysitting me, something happened that probably wasn't an appropriate thing to do. No, I, I, I'm sorry. I don't remember. And so at that time, and I couldn't do this now, but I could do it back then. I, I had such a vivid memory of mm -hmm. things that were happening in that moment, details that I could give at that moment that made what occurred indisputable that it right. happened. Right. And then the phone got real quiet. You know, the, the, the voice on the other gets real quiet and he starts to cry, you know, and like I knew his professional position at that point because he had said, this is what I do now. And I think that he thought if I'm if I'm assuming correctly um, that I was I was coming to wreck him, like I was coming to tear his right. life apart. And I wasn't like I wasn't in that place in my life. I was in a place where I'm like, I need to I need to confront you and I need to forgive you because I think that's the right thing to do. Um, and so that's what I did. And so I said, look, like I'm calling you to number one, to, to bring your awareness to this and to tell you that, like, I forgave you for what happened, but this is what happened to me. And, and I'm, I'm fucked up over it. And that was at 20 years old, right? I'm 40, I'm 48 now. You know what I mean? Like yeah. it's had time to mature and fester and, and, you know, make itself apparent in other places in my life. So fast forward to the therapist that I've worked with over the last several years. And <clears throat> he said, I want you to write a letter to your abuser. And I said, well, that'll be easy. Like I, I, I can write something scathing right now that would take no effort whatsoever. Right. And he goes, okay, so I want you to do that. And he goes, and then I, what I want you to do is I want you to write a letter to yourself at that age. And I was like, what do you mean? And he said, I, I want you to write it right after the incident occurred with all of the benefit of life that you've lived now. And I want you to write it to yourself at that age, right after the, the event occurred. And I was like, I don't know that I can do that. So I, I did it in stages. Like I, I waited till I was ready. 
it didn't take me long to write the letter to the abuser. And of course, this was a letter that was never intended to be sent. Sure. I just needed to write it and get it down in paper. This is how I feel about what you did. And this is, you know, th this is what I'm carrying with me. This is the, the cross that I've had to bear for all these years. And then when I was good and ready, and it took another, I don't know, probably another couple months before I was ready. I'm like, all right, so if I'm going to write this letter, I'm going to make it very public. And so it's on my blog. Like you can go back. I forget how many years it is. I think it's probably a four-year-old post. And, and I wrote the letter to myself. And Dave, I'm telling you right now, it was one of the hardest things I've ever had to write because basically what I have to tell my, and I don't remember how old I was. I was five or six years old, but I was around that age. Mm -hmm. but what I had to tell myself is, look, I know that this thing happened to you and I can't change that it happened. And if I could go back in time, I don't know what the right decision is to make. I don't know if the right decision is to go and tell mom and dad right now what happened or to look at all the things that have transpired since they've transpired mm -hmm. and, and let you know that because of this, you're going to go through a lot of pain and you're going to hurt a lot of people in the process because you haven't resolved your pain and it's going to take you four decades to do it. So whether you want to go tell mom and dad right now and see what happens, because maybe your life takes on a very different path because mm -hmm. we can't change what happened. Like that part's inevitable. It's like Thanos. Right. <laughs> um, um, but, but if you follow this path, th these are all, you know, th this is a series of things that are going to happen because you've not healed this pain. And it, and it was such a, it was such a profound exercise um, that it, it's still something that like when I work with clients now, because a lot of my clients, and, I, and you may be able to relate to this, mm -hmm. because a lot of people come to me for fat loss. Sure. A lot of people have trauma. Their trauma might be different. Like not everybody's been a drug addict. Not everybody's been sexually abused, but people have something. They've got a neglectful parent or parents. They watched, you know, they, they saw parents that, that were um, uh, addicted to substances or whatever. And it, and it affected them in some really you know, a profound way. And it affects the way that they eat. It affects the way that they treat their body. I'm no different. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's one of those things where like, I will still offer this tool to people to say, look, this thing happened. So, so, you know, and, and we'll, 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 I will simplify it a little bit. If I have a client that says to me, I have an eating disorder, you know, I'm, I'm simplifying the sure, conversation, sure. but like, if I have a client who's, who identifies as having an eating disorder, and I've had this eating order, disorder because I carry this verbiage that my father said to me when I was 14 years old about my body, and I've never been able to unpack it, and I'm 57 years old now. I'll use a similar tool, and I'm not a therapist, but I know how effective this tool is. Mm -hmm. Write a letter. Write a letter to your father. It's not meant to be sent. Write a letter to your father explaining exactly how you feel. How do you feel carrying four decades of this trauma, micro trauma, however you want to define it? for all these years. And then I want you to write a letter to yourself at that age, after you heard those words and tell yourself with the benefit of hindsight, these are the things that are going to happen in your life because these are the words that got stuck in your mind. And it's a, it, it's an amazing thing, but you know, like Dave, I'm, I'm going to go out on a short limb here and say, you probably understand the power of journaling. You Absolutely. understand the, the power of like getting it out of mm -hmm. like, get it out of between your ears, put it on a piece of paper where it's no longer banging around like a pinball on speed and like put it somewhere where it can exist and you can step back and go, okay, now it's out there and I can burn it once it's out, but at least it's out. 
So I, you know, I, I love things like that, but I know that like when I did that exercise, I mean, it just shook me right to the core. So, yeah, yeah, I do. And in, in the coaching that I do um, with superhuman UM with advancing man, there, there are a number of exercises that are similar to that. And the, the common, common ground between that and the stuff that I do and any other thing like that. For me, it's a lot like looking at fitness related things. You know, there, there are certain things that, that exist within whatever fitness program and they exist because it works, you know, like let's use fat loss, for example, right? Um, yep. if, if you're going to, to do a program because you want to lose some body fat, there is one key principle that has to be at play or the thing will not work. And that is calorie deficit, right? Now, there are a multitude of ways to to get to calorie deficit, dozens and dozens of different ways to get there. And the one, the correct one is the one that's sustainable, right? So um, that same idea of, of uh, the principle there for me and the way that I approach this from personal development or, or, you know, personal growth, however you want to define that is if I take something that's whirling around in my mind whether it's to my benefit or to my detriment, whatever it is, if it's whirling around inside there um, or both, it can be both at the same time. Right. Um, and I write it out in detail and I get as much of the details and as much of the facts out of my, the whirling mass that's in my mind and onto a piece of paper. Now two things have happened. It has become concrete versus vague. And it has become something external to me rather than a part of me. Right. I can start to Correct. separate myself from whatever it is. And that can be a good idea or a bad idea. That can be, you know, a, 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 a pleasant memory or a, a traumatic memory. But once it's out on paper, now I can, I can more easily observe it from a place of objectivity rather than being wrapped up in the middle of it. And um, it makes perfect sense to me that you would successfully use that with people who have issues around food. Sure. Right. Yeah. Uh, and yeah. Yeah. So the whole thing makes sense. I appreciate you sharing that with me. I'm going to, um, sure. I'm going to ruminate on that a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, uh, if you don't want to answer this, then, then by all means you don't have to, but how old was the perpetrator when the event happened? Um, I think around 12 or 13 years of age okay. around there, uh, old enough to know better, you know, it's probably yeah. the safest way to say it. Yeah. Uh, fully, fully aware of his actions. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I want to say around that age. So yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's a huge difference in age right there for for that sort of stuff for sure. Um, yeah, I'm I'm curious too, kind of kind of pivoting direction about this a little bit. One of the things that I talk about with guys when I bring them on the show is masculinity, just as a concept, right? And I'm curious um, your take on the idea of of masculinity in general, especially with the backstory that you've got here, because um, I know that and I'm only a few years older than you. You know, you said you're 48. Yeah. I'm in my early yeah. 50s. Um, yeah. I know that when I was younger, when I was, you know, uh, maybe not five or six, but when I was 10, 11, something like that, um, there was a an incident. I have very, very little recollection. Of, I don't even remember who it was, but there was an incident where something like what you just described got brought up in amongst a group of boys. And the sure. boy who 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 opened up and was vulnerable about it because he was looking for help and comfort and support, he brought it up and he was immediately, this is in the 80s, mind you, he was immediately just dogpiled for being gay. Right. Mm -hmm. And and mm -hmm. You know, 40 years ago, um, it was a socially acceptable insult to, you know, fire, you know, 
homophobic slurs at people like that. And so the kid shut down, started crying. I have very, very little recollection of the the details of it. But um, at that point in time, being gay and being masculine were two things that had to exist in pe- or that, that existed in people's minds, like independent of each other. You could not be gay mm-hmm. and still be masculine, you know, and it's just all Correct. of this like, like twisted up, messed up um very binary very it must be this way or the other without any of the the continuum effect that's involved there but i'm curious um how that experience and everything else that that goes along with it that that is in the wake of that experience and 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 all the other stuff in your life as well not just that because i certainly don't want to sit here and the the event that you bring up is important and i'm sure that there are people who are listening that can relate um but there's also a ton of other stuff that's happened with you that's been wonderful that has molded who you are as well. We're not defining you by that event. I mean, you, you obviously yeah. aren't, and I'm not going to attempt to either. So um, bringing that back around, what are what, what's your take on masculinity? What do you think are some common misconceptions about masculinity? Might be a better way to ask the question. Um, just I'd, I'd like to hear your your thoughts, opinions, beliefs, et cetera, on that. Yeah, I, you know, it's it's funny. I, I don't ever this is probably going to sound really strange. I don't ever think about that term. Like I, Mm -hmm. you know, I hear people like use terms like toxic masculinity and I understand like, you know, I understand it by a definition, but I don't ever really think in that way. I don't, Mm -hmm. you know, look and go, a man should be this, a man should be that. Um, and, and I think, I think you brought up a really good point about trying to compare, like, you know, once upon a time we had this very, um, sort of dichotomous view about like you couldn't be gay and be masculine i would say you don't know enough gay men because i know i, I know plenty of gay men who are, are far more masculine than probably some straight men that i know but it's, <laughs> it's one of those things where it's i, I don't know that i have a definition for it it, okay. it is not it, it's not it's not a phrase that ever like really crosses my mind and, and even like when i talk to my wife for instance and we look at ways that Sebastian behaves or engages or anything like that there's never a conversation about well you know he should he should man up and he should you know to t- take it like a man and like I, because I, did, I didn't grow up that way right. so there was never like men do this it was never like that was never the foundation that was set for me now did I see what the man in the house did I did and that's you know again it was modeled but it wasn't like my father never sat, you know, sat there and go, well, you know, I do it this way because this is the way that it should be done. So, you know, for instance, my dad was the, um, sorry, I'm going to, I'm going to, oh, my, my dad was, I was going to lose the word right at the tip of my tongue. My dad was the primary breadwinner in our home. Now there were times when my mom did work, but my mom chose to work. Um, it wasn't like, no. So my dad's name, my dad's name was Paul. My mom's name is Winnie. So, you know, dad was never like, so when he, you know, your, your place is in the house and I expect a home cooked meal every night. And, right. You know, like it, it just wasn't that way in our home. Um, now, did my mom normally have a home cooked meal? Yes. But that's because that's, that's just how it was. It wasn't an expectation. It's just, that's how it was until it wasn't. And then there were nights where I was like, it's like, okay, well, dad's cooking tonight. So I, I know that's probably, um, sounds like a bit of a cop out, um, but I, it is a term that I rarely ever think about. So to sit back and go, um, I think that masculinity is this, and these are the ideals that I try to impart on my boys, doesn't cross my mind. Um, I would want my boys to be, 
to hold the same standards that I would want for myself. I want them to be honest. I want them to have integrity. I want them to realize that if they make mistakes, it's okay to, to admit to your mistakes, um, but that you still have an obligation to fix mistakes. Um, you know, like my boys, obviously with, with Jackson, it's, it's a different story, but with my neurotypical son, because he, he'll be able to comprehend it to a greater degree of effectiveness, that should my son ever need therapy, it's okay to have therapy. Men go to therapy, men heal their wounds. You know what I mean? So I, it's, but the same thing goes for his mom. I would still want his mom to say, we teach honesty, we teach integrity, we teach, you know, it's okay to be a fallible person. So I don't know that it really, uh, I don't know that it has a lot of bearing. So, yeah. Interesting. That's, uh, yeah. I think that uh, if, if I can, can comment on that from my side of the table. I think please please you, do because I, I don't mind being informed. <laughs> it it uh, what you described was um traits of being an adult obviously or being a person of integrity but um masculinity must carry with it um a level of understanding of uh flaws and faults and humanity and a willingness to be strong when we need to be strong and be vulnerable when we need to be vulnerable. And I, I use those two words, but they actually mean the same thing to me. To me, vulnerability is a strength, like the, the, the shutting down and the men don't cry and, and, and all of that sort of stuff. That is a skill or a lack of skill that, that has existed for God knows how many generations that I think that, that, we in, in the age that we're in now are just now starting to get out of and realize that, okay, um, the, the masculine ability or the mask, I think of it as energy, right? Masculine energy, no matter who's exhibiting it, male, female, or otherwise, um, is about, it, it's a very yang energy. It's a very fiery energy. It's a very, you know, um, to use the cliche, it's the, it's the hunter of the hunter gatherer. I go out sure. and, and and I I kill something and drag it home. Whereas the feminine yeah. energy is the gatherer. It's like what's nearby, I'm going to gather it up and bring it in and be very receptive. So to me, it all comes down to one is one is penetrative and one is receptive. And okay. and and really that's not two separate energies. That's the same energy expressed on a continuum, right? And so sure, sure. and so what you described is a man who is fully um fully functioning even if you haven't sat, sat around and thought about it you're fully functioning in in the way that that i will express masculine energy when it's the appropriate energy i will express feminine energy when it's the appropriate energy given the situation and you're modeling that for your kids so i think that it's beautiful thanks i yeah it's and like in hearing you say it i'm like oh yeah i guess it does make sense that way but it's one of those things that like i like i when i hear that word it's almost like in one ear and out the other i'm like i get it I, I just it's just not something that sits on the forefront of my mind yeah um but yeah it's 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 cool to talk about it because like yeah. again i'm always i'm always from the position like i want to be a sponge i want to soak things in and understand and absorb so yeah for sure um to to kind of piggyback off of that being a dad you've you've you said the word that i love so much so many times both in terms of how you are for your kids and for how your dad was for you. And that, that word is modeling, right? Which goes back to what I was talking about with Joe earlier, like whatever's in the ether, whatever's going on in the house, the kid is going to absorb. 
and and so if we deliberately model the way we want the kid to be, if we model kindness, our kid's going to be kind. If we model something different, but then tell them to be kind, then they've got it. What we're actually modeling is is conflict, right? And so, right. um, a a kind of a of a trite cliche way to to label that for easy conversation is positive role model, right? We want to model. Mm -hmm being a positive role model. So how would you define a positive role model in your own words, whether that's as a dad or that's as a coach or however you want to take it? Um, well, I, I, I think it's a lot of things. I, I think, and this is something that actually you and I had have had conversations about offline over the last couple of years. You know, you've seen um, videos for instance or pictures that i've shared online of sebastian for instance and sebastian would be like holding a record like you know a record that maybe a child of his age like oh i, I didn't know a four-year-old listened to pantera <laughs> or you, you know <laughs> or like um you know i when when sebastian had the interest because he saw another child doing it when he wanted to step inside of a trap bar and go well i want to try to lift that because i saw another child do it trying to like see those things and so I want him to see, I want him to see what my life is like. Like I, I want him to see dad at work and I want him to see dad at home. So if he knows that like when dad is at work, dad's, you know, doing this, this type of job um, and it's very active and there's a lot of commotion because there could be a lot of people in the gym at that time, but everybody's moving and it's a, it's a very positive feel. So I want him to see that. And I want him to, you've used the, the, the word a lot. I want him to have that energy so mm -hmm. that it, if he wants to like hop on a machine and try to move it, that he's like, he has the confidence to go. And like, because I saw somebody do it, I want to go do it too. Um, I think that's part of it. I think the other part too, um, and you were talking about earlier on in the, in the conversation uh, about having, you know, your infant child home and the energy was of a particular show that was far more mature than, you know, what an infant would be able to conceive with right. the belief that, that your child in some way, shape or form is absorbing it. So, so we'll run with that. So I, as an example, years ago, my son, my little guy saw an argument. He, he was, he was in the middle of a room and witnessed an argument between his mother and I, and it was a colorful argument because something had gone wrong and Good we feelings. were not. Yeah. Yeah. We, it was, it, it was a lot of expression going on in one room. And so there were things, very adult things that came out of our mouths and in the next like couple of weeks, those very adult things came out of his mouth. And it was one of those things where, you know, Marissa and I had to step back and go, okay, he's really young to be able to like say, and I'm not even talking about vulgarity. I'm just talking about words in general, but they could include vulgarities too, because there was a lot that was happening in that scenario. So I think part of it is in positive role modeling is not only that your children see conflict, but that they also see conflict resolved. Right. And that was one of the things that I think earlier on in our parenting process, something that we both had to evolve in as, as a couple is if there is a, an argument or a disagreement that there's also that, that he also witnesses conflict resolution because I need, like we need, even though like we haven't specifically said, this is what we're doing. It's important for him to see it because this then becomes life um like oh it's not just a fight it's a fight with a resolution okay right. cool like i i get that so it's 
it's trying to take all those things in. It's the, it's the happy, like feely things that happen in a gym because the vibe is good and the energy is high, but it's also like these other real life things that are going to happen in the household because we're not always going to see things eye to eye. Um, and that's okay too, because it can still be functional. It can still be respectful. Um, there's still love that's happening. Um, modeling, you know, public displays of affection to a, to a certain degree. Like, I don't mind that my son sees me kiss his mother because that's, that's we wouldn't have had him without some of that stuff. You know what I mean? Now <laughs> we don't have to be gratuitous about it, but it's just things like that. So I think all of that stuff exists. Um, yeah, just uh, uh, all of it. If he sees me cry, it's okay. If he sees me cry, if he sees me get upset about something, it's okay. But he needs to see the, the range of things as, as they come, as opposed to going, no, we're only going to do these things behind closed doors. Well, that's not, that's not showing him real life because then he's not going to have the tools to handle life when it, you know, when it becomes difficult for him. So I think that's a lot of it in my mind. That's good stuff. Yeah. I, um, I think that it's important if we are in relationships, you know, mom and dad or, or, you know, parents that disagree in, in whatever capacity that, the argument isn't the thing that has the biggest emotional impact on the kid. It's the resolution in the times of, of peace and joy and love that are in between there, you know? Right. Um, right. And there's, there's definitely learnable skills associated with communicating with someone that you're that close to so that you can have a disagreement or that, that you can express, Hey, when you did this, it upset me or it hurt me or, or finding out that I did or said something that was hurtful uh, unintentionally or, you know, or, or I got upset and I said something that I shouldn't have said because I was upset and I was wrong for, you know, just all that sort of stuff, like owning that and apologizing for it and modeling how to come to that resolution. It's vitally important. I agree with you completely on that one. Um, yeah. The uh, some, some like funny examples of stuff like that, that have happened around my house is um, uh, I, I'm, I'm very much interested in allowing my son at age five to experience whatever feeling and emotion he's experiencing and talking to him about how that feels in his body so that he can then sort of categorize it and also giving him, you know, it, it's okay that you feel that way. It's okay that you're upset. It's not okay to hit me, you know, that kind of stuff. And, right, right. Um, and which it, obviously the the uh if he hits me i don't spank him because i'm not going to hit a kid who hit me to show him that hitting other people is wrong i mean that's i'm i'm and i will i'll die on that hill that it's never okay to hit a child you know so that and, yeah and and i don't i didn't feel like we needed to have that conversation just based on your approach but like that's that's where i am and if if anyone ever wants to argue that point with me on the show i'll bring you on and and we will talk and you can tell me you can tell me how you don't arrive at the logical conclusion that the prisons are full of people who just weren't beaten often or savagely enough and that's why they're right, prison, right? well so i'm glad you bring this up because i remember you know um I have no hesitation in saying that I was spanked, you know, for a certain period of my life, whatever, generationally, what, like, sure. I don't know to what degree my parents were also spanked, but, you know, th for a certain period of my, life, of my life, that's how I was disciplined. And it's neither here nor there for me. Like, it's just, that's what happened. And I'm an adult and everything's fine. You know what I mean? But I think that there's a lot of nuance to, and I'm sure that you see it because I see it, it's everywhere 
you'll get people, very meme happy people that post stuff up and they'll go, well, you know, back when I was a kid, all it took was just a couple of whippings and I would understand. And I'm like, but so to that point, when Sebastian was of a certain age, my initial reaction was to, you know, pop his hand, pop his butt. And my wife said, she said, Jason, I'm not, I'm not okay with this. Like, I, I, I don't think this is right. And, and I kind of sat back and I just, I just listened. Cause I'm like, okay, there's a reason why she feels this way. So I want to, I want to understand it. It's a different day and age mm -hmm. just because our parents did it or their parents does, did it doesn't mean it's right. Sometimes like you have to break the cycle of tradition mm -hmm. um, because it's not always a good tradition. And so what I realized was that I could be very effective with getting my point across to my son if he did something wrong by talking to him like this. Mm -hmm. And I got that when, you know, because I reached a point in my own life where my father wasn't going to spank me anymore. And he would talk to me like this. And it would make me feel about yay tall. And I would know that my father meant business. And I'm like, okay, I'm not fucking around now. Right. And so I can have a very calm conversation with Sebastian that he knows, okay, we, this is not the way it's going to go. And, and he knows like once that tone drops, okay, dad's not messing around, but then it's not, we don't get into all of the hysterics. Right. It's just, we're going to have a conversation that this is not right. And then, you know, essentially everybody leaves that conversation, I think a little bit better for it because my wife knows, okay, Sebastian was not spanked. Sebastian knows he was not spanked. Dad knows he got his point across. Sebastian goes, okay, point taken. Triple win, yeah. And yeah, so now, does that mean that my child is going to end up perfect? I'm not really sure, but I hope that he ends up a lot better off. Than yeah. Me. yeah. Um, so, but I, it's just, it's one of those things where I think, and this is probably the most sort of overarching sentiment that I can give because I even have this conversation with clients. It's very easy in this day and age, social media being what it is, to feel like you're not a good enough parent or a good enough anything, good enough business owner, good enough man, good enough whatever. Um, because social media will, will, will spin you a story that we don't see the full truth of. It's like stepping on the scale. The scale tells you one particular side of a story. It's not right. the whole story. So with, with the clients I work with, many of them also parents, I'll get questions. Well, what should I do about this? And what it comes down to is we're all just trying to do the very best that we can. And nobody's perfect. And even the people that look like they've got it all sorted out are probably sitting around crying in the middle of their car because they're like, I don't have it all figured out. Right. That's just not the point that goes on social media. Right. So it, it's just like, we're all trying to do the very best that we can. And ultimately I think our kids are going to turn out just fine because we care enough to do the best that we can. And we keep changing as like, we keep evolving as we go. So like, even like they, when I, when you had invited me on the show, like the very title of your show, advancing man all i think about is an evolution of a process like mm -hmm. how do i evolve as this man how do i evolve as a father how do i evolve as you know because i'm i'm still a son i still have a mother that you know i get to share love with and we get to reminisce about dad and so all these different things that i get to be a part of and present so yeah i just think it's uh this is so much around this conversation yeah yeah um the the point that I wanted to to get to, and I appreciate you sharing that, but the point that I wanted to get to when I was talking about the, you know, the absorption of the, of the adult stuff, you were talking about, um, 
heated language and and vulgarity happening at the same time and all that there there have been a couple of times that um things have happened like most recently um um one of the things that that we do with my son that allows him to experience a broad range of emotions from the the joyfulest of joyful to the the depths of of despair and being upset and disappointment all within a few seconds of each other is the board sorry. game sorry if you've ever yeah. do you remember playing that game because I, I remember playing it but I don't remember much about it yeah I, I played it maybe once or twice when I was a little kid we got it for Christmas a couple of months ago and we've played it almost every day since then and when he when the board looks to him like he is going to win He's ecstatic and he's happy. And then, you know, you get a sorry card or you get one where you get to trade places with each other. And and it's, no, I'm never going to win. Ah, and so he'll just, you know, go that way. And then he'll yeah. come right back, you know, and he's, he'll, he'll, I don't know, I don't want to play on your side. I want to play on mommy's side because we'll, we'll team up like that. Yeah. And, and so it's, it's a very, interestingly, it's a very controlled way to help him to experience those emotions and regulate within that and get practice in when there's no real stakes at it, right? It's just, did you win or did you lose? And that's, that's right. your interpretation, right? So I'm, right. I'm having fun with that. But um, two or three days ago, something happened. It was in the early stages of the game. He actually wound up winning. But in the early stages of the game, something happened. He flings himself back on the couch and he goes, damn it, damn it, damn it. <laughs> and I'm like, my wife and I are just sitting there and we're like, it's contextually appropriate Yes. He, I mean, it's, it, he is literally exhibiting an adult skill. He is, he's taking this emotion that he has and he's verbalizing it and expressing it verbally. And I'm like, I am not going to correct this. I'm not going to say anything about it. I'm just going to let him do his thing. And if he says, damn it, yeah. damn it, damn it, in front of a bunch of grownups later on and someone, you know, cuts me side eye because of it, I don't care. <laughs> Because yeah. <laughs> because if your emotional state is so wrapped up that you're triggered by a five-year-old saying, damn it, when he is legitimately upset about something as a way to right, express right. himself, you are the one with the problem, not me and yeah. certainly not him. So, <laughs> so, um, there's, there's, there's times and places for, for everything. And I, and I, I had this thought recently too. It's very interesting. All grownups will use that kind of language at some point. Yeah. Very, yeah. very few exceptions to that. And I remember being young, all kids do it too, but very rarely will we do it around each other because yeah. the grownups are supposed to say it and the kids aren't supposed to say it. And we're not supposed to, and it's just like this weird social construct around that. But, uh, but yeah, um, fun stuff there. What I would like it's, to do now. Yeah, yeah go ahead. Oh yeah. Say your no, no, it's, it, it's just funny. Cause you know, we were talking about music there for a second and there's, um, it's less of an issue now, but it's still something where from time to time we'll bring it up. But I, you know, I, I listen to a lot of stuff. I listen to rock, I listen to metal, I listen to rap. Like I, I listen to a lot of things and I, I want Sebastian to at least have, like, you know, take in some of it because my wife doesn't listen to a lot of that same stuff. There's a little bit of crossover, but not a lot. And one of the stations that he likes to listen to in the car is uh, on Sirius and it's called Turbo. And it's the the late 90s, early 2000s era, rock metal, new metal, like that that genre stuff that was coming out. And he likes a lot of the stuff on that station. And so from time to time, there will be a song that comes on and there'll be a lot of language. And I'm like, mm -hmm. okay, Sebastian, we're going to change it because there's a lot of language in this song. And he understands, like, he understands, okay, I, I know that's not appropriate language. Um, he doesn't repeat a lot of things. 
uh, but he's he's very aware. Um, <laughs> did you see Guardians of the Galaxy three? Yeah. Okay. We went to go see that movie, and I had read that they dropped an f bomb in that movie, but I had forgotten about it. I'd forgotten that I read that. So the three of us were sitting there watching it. And to ask a five-year-old to sit through a two and a half hour long movie is really a big ask, but he did quite well. And that scene comes up where that word is said. And as soon as it comes up, we both look over at Sebastian and he's just grinning. He's not really saying anything. And we get through the rest of the movie and we go out to eat, get to the, the restaurant. We're like, Sebastian, did you like the movie? Yeah. What part did you like about it? I liked all of it. Yeah, but what was your favorite part? And he stops and he goes, the car part. Cause that's the part where they said the word. And I'm like, my God, that's my child. There we go. Yeah. So yeah. yeah. That's why an, another, uh, another like example from my home of that this it's been, he was probably f- maybe not even four, maybe, maybe like a year, year and a half ago. Um, he just out of the blue one day <laughs> says to me, and, and, and I remembered after he said it, that, that he had asked me this question once. And this was the answer that I gave him. He just out of the blue one day says, Hey daddy, fuck is another way to say, Oh no. And I'm like, <laughs> yes, it is. And we just kept moving, kept going with it, you know? And, and, and I remembered that something, I like dropped something or something. I'm like, fuck. And he's like, what does that word mean? And I'm like, well, right now it means, oh no. It's like another way right. to say it. And, 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 and I said that we haven't really stuck with this because I don't really know why. I guess it just hasn't been relevant. But, but I said, it's a word that grownups use that kids usually don't use. So it's more of a grown up word. Okay. And that was yeah. the end of it, right? <laughs> because it at, at some point it becomes one of those things that the more that the more you're like, don't do this, don't say this, you know, then oh now it's forbidden and I want to play with it. You yes. Know? Yeah. So yeah. So yeah. yeah. Um I want to move into the rapid fire round. Um if you're cool with that. I'll just throw some questions out. You give the first answer off the top of your head and then we'll wrap this thing up. Sound good? Fair. All right. What is one useless talent that you have? <laughs> one useless talent that I have. I don't know. I don't have a lot of talents. <laughs> uh, well, I'll, I'll say this. I Well, and I'll say it this way from a very, uh, hopefully a loving place. Um, I'll say it's useless because I don't use it anymore. Um, writing songs. I, I've not written... I've not written an original song. I, I was in a band for bands for years and years and years and years. And, uh, and I loved being in a band. I loved singing and playing guitar. Uh, and I loved writing songs, but ever since my dad passed away, I don't think I've written a single original song. Mm. And so I would say that is my most useless talent because it is the one that I put to the least use. Makes sense. Makes sense. What's a personal mantra or belief that you want to make sure gets passed on to your sons? It's okay to not be okay. David Lee Roth or Sammy Hagar? <laughs> Shit. Uh, <laughs> God, you know, like if you'd asked me, this is one of those things that like, it depends on where in my life you ask me this question. Um, David Lee Roth. Yeah. Yeah. He's, I think he's a total douchebag, but I oh, like yeah, totally. that, that era of Van Halen. It was ferocious. 
Yeah, especially like the the live at Oakland recordings, you know, with Unchained and all that. That's that's my son's favorite video to watch on YouTube. Can we watch where Dave jumps? Yes, we can. <laughs> yeah. Um, um, if you could only eat one thing for the rest of your life, what would it be? Steak. What is your <laughs> favorite holiday? Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I, I, I struggle with holidays, to, to be honest. It, it's mostly because I'm missing my dad. Um, but but yeah, I, I would say that this is <laughs> this is my out, my anniversary, because I'm proud okay. of it. There you go. That's a good one. Um, what is your favorite Pantera album and why is it Vulgar Display of Power? <laughs> <laughs> Such a great question. Um, so <laughs> I the only time I ever saw Pantera live, uh, they opened up for Skid Row. They were touring for, well, Skid Row was touring for Slave to the Grind. I no longer listen to that album. Uh, but Pantera was touring for Cowboys from Hell. Mm -hmm. I do still listen to that album. Um, but it is Vulgar Display of Power because that is the one that I have the most kinship with, with Sebastian for, because Sebastian heard Walk. And it mm -hmm. like, that's, you know, like it just lit him up when he heard that song and then he wanted to hear it all the time. Yeah. So yeah, it's, it's, it's vulgar for sure. Yeah, for sure. I, I fortunately saw them on that same tour. Um, I also saw uh, Skid Row with Soundgarden opening for them around that same period wow. of time, which was great too. Yeah. But, but I saw yeah. them on every tour up until like 99, like right. Wow. I, I didn't see them on reinventing the steel, um, but I saw them. And the first time that I saw them was in a club with about 75 people. And it was in mm. January of 92 before vulgar was released in February. Wow. And, and they had, did you ever see the, I'm, I'm sure you did the, the monsters of rock with them and ACDC and Metallica in Russia with the million and a half people. They were like, sure. yeah, they, they had just come back from that a, a few weeks earlier. And here they are okay. in this, this tiny club. That's the size of your living room. And it yeah. was, the, you know, it was the same show. That was the cool thing. Yes. About it. And then after yeah. they got done, maybe all but about 20 or 30 people filed out and they came out of the dressing room about 15 or 20 minutes later and did shots with everybody. And they were just the coolest bunch of guys. Awesome. Um, so I got to do a shot with Dimebag once. So, so that's amazing. That's a metal story for me. Um, last yeah. question. <laughs> what is a um, cherished family tradition that you hope to pass on that either comes from your upbringing or one that you created for your own, own family unit? just just being able to go uh, on vacations together um it's it's something that we we did a lot as as our family um it's it's something that you know although my memories can be very scattered and i don't remember anywhere near as much as what my mother does uh it's, it's still something just the concept of it as i i like and when we've been able to do that with sebastian and and with jackson too just in in different ways uh, it's, it's just always, it's always real special. So, and it gets us away from a given norm. So it's sure. something that we do together that gets us away from a given norm. So very cool stuff. Well, I want to thank you for being on the show. Jason. Um, if anybody wants to find you again, that's Jason lean with two A's in arts and two E's in lean. 
And um, you got this upcoming group coaching program, Fat Loss Simplified, and you're going to start the next round of that in April of 2024. So I'm sure the show will air before then. You want to throw out any details or anything like that that people need to know? And of course, I'll get all that information and put it in the, the show notes on YouTube and on the podcast. Yeah, if anybody's interested, uh, the, the probably the best place to go or to start is to follow me on Instagram because that's where I'll start to market it more heavily um, during March. So right now we're in the middle of the the program that started at the beginning of this year. Um, so we're we're in week five of a eight week program. And so one of the things I was talking to you about um, off offline was that it's not fat loss simplified is not a it's not a transformation, it's not a contest, it's not a challenge, it's not any of those things. It is. The way that I'm marketing it, it's a it is a toolbox to give to clients so that everybody who's coming in from a very different place and has very different goals can sort of understand their personal history with dieting, with food, with their negative self-talk, and understand why certain tools work and why certain tools don't. Because inevitably what I do get is I do get people who have a history of eating disorders and I help them understand why certain tools can be contraindicated for them and which tools might be more effective. Um, but it's eight weeks of just, you know, trying to give as much value and content as I can to the members and, uh, and hopefully help them leave the program with a better relationship with food and with themselves than they did when they started. Excellent. And your Instagram is just Jason Lean Arts. Correct. Yeah. So, yeah. I made a note of that. So I make sure to put that into the show notes. Well, Jason, I appreciate you taking some time to hang out with me today. And that's it for today. We'll see you guys on the next episode.